This country is doomed. It is doomed. Whatever you say, Mrs. Majesty. The money and the power now The G5 will get me out there in the hour now The Mac moving like crack, I'm selling powder now He came over like a room, hit the showers now I got the trophies in the Doom Nation, what's up guys? We are back today with the Two Doom Men podcast As always, it's Skaggs and your captain And today we have a returning special guest Professor Giordano from the PAS Report How you doing, Nick? I'm doing well, thank you for having me back I appreciate it, enjoy being on with you too Thank you. We're, we're excited to have you back. You're always such a wealth of knowledge. Yes. Thank you, man. We appreciate it. Uh, your show is great. Uh, we learned a lot by listening yeah. to it. Uh, you want to shout it out at the beginning while we still have everybody? <laughs> sure. It's the PAS Report. They could go online, pasreport.com. It's on every major podcast platform. And it's doing well. A lot of new listeners yes. because it's one of the most informative podcasts out there. It definitely is. Yeah, that's um, that's something interesting. A lot of independent shows are doing really good. And I feel like yep. that's a little hopeful. People have kind of tuned out the mainstream corporate media and are going to other sources of information now. As uh, they should. Yeah. yeah, that's like a white pill, as they would say. That's encouraging. As, uh, we were talking about it last week uh, with uh, Sergeant Samurai when he said it's basically like death by a thousand cuts, like. They could try and cancel one or two shows, but they can't cancel all of us. And, you know, and it's waking people up and educating people and, you know, getting them to think of a different perspective. And you're definitely part of that, Nick. Yeah, well, I mean, the media has become activists. They're, they're not media. Right. They're not journalists. It's clear. They have an agenda. They're pushing that agenda. And that's why I even started the podcast was yep. I saw what was going on. And let's be honest, in 3.5 minute segments, you're not really talking about the topics in depth. You just simply providing a biased point of view and that's it yep Yep. glazing over everything it's it's funny too when you even watch if you watch cnn like they present their opinion as if they're 100 percent factually true everything they say is like the 10 commandments presented by god there there's never any you just had the little punch bowl sit there and talk about how cnn is the most honest press outlet out there and how they're just trying to disseminate what right. the truth is to the people, and he can't even see his own biases for the last five years. It's you think so? Truly amazing. You think he really can't, or do you think it's you know? No, I think he's so dumb he can't. I okay. think the others. Really? Can. I think the others know they're pushing an agenda, and they just don't care about that agenda. Uh, they don't care about pushing it. I think someone like him really believes that CNN is honest out there, and it's just like, no, come on, You're like you can't be that <laughs> dumb. But no, they can actually when you think yeah. about it. You know, they've gone unchecked for so long. They've never been held accountable before. Why should we start doing it now? Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) the American press and we tend to forget our past. We we tend to think like this press was always like the straight up entity that would just report the news and give us the facts. But actually, when you look at our history, that's not the case. I mean, in the, the beginning of this country, a lot of politicians actually own the press outlets and they were propaganda machines. And, and then when you look at certain things, the press reported, it was more like frigging gossip columnists than it was yeah. actual news. 
So nothing's really changed. One way I looked at always looked at that too is you know we've learned in history you know the Nazis were big on propaganda. Kim Jong Un is big on propaganda. What makes you think America is any different that that it doesn't have some sort of propaganda machine, you know, pushing an agenda? You know, people for some reason I guess used to think you know well we're America and we don't do propaganda here. No, we do. We have since the beginning of this country and we'll continue to do so, especially in times of crisis. I mean, if you look at the stuff that was coming out in World War Two, the, you know, support your country and blah, blah, blah. And it was all for good reasons. Propaganda can be used for good. Um, Unfortunately, now it's used for the negative. And we're we're seeing the results of that. Like putting like the story that uh, Skaggs, you figured out in uh, Oklahoma or the where was it? The ivermectin. uh, yeah, they were the saying was, uh, overdosing. Yeah, yeah, they were saying in Oklahoma how gunshot wound victims couldn't get into the ICU because there were so many people overdosing on ivermectin. All it took me was uh, ten minutes of calling up a few hospitals in Oklahoma and asking asking them if that was the case, and they all said no. Well, here's the dishonesty of the press because I was looking at an article this morning. Of course, the headline blares out. Nearly more people died from coronavirus than died from the 1918 flu. Now, the 1918, it was a huge pandemic. A hundred million people worldwide actually were killed by it. And so right off the bat, it was a red flag to me for them to say that. So when I I go into the article, you actually look at it and I'm just sitting there. They're comparing apples to oranges. So they're saying 675,000 Americans died with the 1918 Spanish flu. What they don't tell you is that we were a country of 100 million people. Right. We are now a country of 329 million people. Yeah. And so if we're really going to equate the deaths, well, you'd have to time. It would be 1.8 million COVID deaths would equal the deaths of the Spanish flu. So right. you see the dishonesty. And some of it is to push an agenda, as we said. Other times, it's simply clickbait. They, they want you to click on the headlines because that's what generates their revenue. You know, people need to realize the media is an industry. They need to make yep. money. And so getting viewers, you're not getting viewers by saying, oh, everything's just hunky dory out there and there's nothing really new to report. You get viewers when people think they're going to die. And that's why they've spread so much fear with this coronavirus, yep. because they want people to tune in. You get viewers when you talked about President Trump segment after segment after segment for four years that was drawing in the viewers and that's part of a problem that it's this entity that has an agenda at the same time. It also wants to make money and it's a dangerous combination when you have yeah. that. Yep. And also, you know, going back to like when I was in school for media and stuff like that, you're saying like it's clickbait every time it's a click, it's another so many dollars to their revenue. You, there's been a big change in journalistic integrity since like social media and stuff, because now an advertiser had a completely different formula to formulate how much profit their advertisements were making back so many years ago. Now you can literally count the number of people who click it. So, you know how much to pay out for your advertisement. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a counting machine. And that's why there's this, you know, huge focus on just headline driven topics that last two, three seconds because everyone clicks on it out of fear or anger and they don't really get any information. But the advertisers got everything they needed. They made the money. Yeah. Interesting times, man. We're in like human society. We're in uncharted waters here. How do we navigate this exactly? There's really, I guess, no big deal, you know, in terms of what you're saying, Chris, if it's like the Kardashians or 
the NFL, like that, if that's what the news is about. Well, it's the when same it's about thing a that pandemic yeah. and it has like an actual direct effect on your life, you know, we got to figure out some way to uh, navigate that. I just saw yeah. recently uh, Bill Maher actually said how some poll he was referencing about how like 70% of Democrats think that 45 to 50%, like the, the hospitalization rate for COVID is like 45 to 50%, or uh, I believe it was either hospitalization or how many people Hospitalization. Died. That, right. that if you get coronavirus, you got a 50 to 70 percent chance of being put in the hospital. And the real number is between one and five percent. Right. And even yeah. Bill Maher is like, you know, this is crazy. This is what the media has done to everybody. Yep. So. Nobody, you know, every you said it in a text the other day. Everybody who's afraid of this still are the vaccinated people yeah. <laughs> and like the vaccinated people who just went and got this vaccine. And I'm not saying not to, but like they're always the ones that don't know that like there's a 99% survival rate is, you know, unless you have some type of underlying condition and it changes it. Yeah. Well, that's what the media has done and still so much fear, but the dangerous part is it's not that they've just instilled fear. We see this government amassing more and more power. They they've usurped the Mm -hmm. people's authority and literally half the country is okay with that. Yeah. Because they're so afraid. And that's the scary part that you see where it's heading. And it's not just here in the United States. We see it in Australia, in France, in Italy, in Austria, where these governments that were supposed to be liberal democracies are actually pretty damn authoritarian. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hasn't when, that always when, been the, pre- the playbook, too, historically? You know, authoritarian yeah. regimes have used fear, crisis. Right, yeah. fear and crisis to uh, use our power from the people, you know, just, trial the tested, exact playbook you know yeah. approved well i mean i always, i just told my students you know think about two years back prior to the coronavirus if i would have told you that government was going to determine what businesses are essential and which ones aren't if i told you that governments were going to determine when where and how you could practice your faith what you must wear when you leave your house whether or not you could enter a building you would have told me i'm a tinfoil high conspiracy theorist and yet here we are and and when you look at it from that perspective what makes us any different than any authoritarian regime out there yeah we were say we were worried about this at the beginning of covid and every, no it's no 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 it's not like that it's not like that you know and now we're 18 months into you know two weeks to fly on the curve <laughs> Here's the amazing part. I come from the emergency management homeland security arena. I I actually worked on pandemic plans. I wrote pandemic plans. And I was telling my students prior to the the lockdowns and everything, I'm like, listen, I'm like, it's something that we have to take serious. We have to pay attention to. But the key indicator is you look at who a virus is infecting. Now, it's normally old people and the very young that the virus affects, It's the young people that you grow more concerned about because obviously they're the future, their productivity, and there's all these metrics in place. I'm like, it's old people with pre-existing conditions. We see it affecting. I'm like, so I'm not necessarily concerned right now. I'm like, when you see me walk in with a hazmat suit on, that's when you guys need to worry. That's when you should be concerned. But this virus seems to only be affecting older individuals, meaning young, healthy people are going to be fine. This isn't like the global pandemic, the, the one that has the 10% kill rate that we fear, that, that all emergency managers are horrified because we know one of those is coming down the pike sooner or later. But the reaction and how quick people were to give up their power was astonishing to me. I never thought I'd see that. And yet here we are. Um, where yeah, people say, forget the Constitution, let government do it at once. Yeah. A lot you know, of weakness. It's, it's it's scary how people can't see past that. How they can't see the encroachment on your liberty, 
you know, how they're ripping up the Constitution. Um, you know, they, they people genuinely believe that once this is over, it will go yeah. back. Everything yes. will be fine. Yeah. They'll give up the emergency powers, you know, just like they did after 9-11. You know, they got rid of the Patriot Act and the oh, NSA yeah. spine. They got rid of all that stuff. You know, well, they that's said- the amazing part. <laughs> you know, you would think like people and I put out a question weeks ago. I, I put out the question for all those people that support all the measures and the mandates and blah, blah, blah. I asked them. At what point would you say government's yep. going too far? Like name one thing where you'd say, all right, now the government's out of line and not, not a single one ever responded to me. Of course yeah. they wouldn't, but not a single one did. And that's the frightening aspect that essentially there is no line that could be crossed, even though we've seen them crossed over the course of the last year and a half. And, and you're absolutely right. It's not like power ever gets fully restored to the people. Government will restore some of those powers, but they'll yeah, also calm people down. several other powers. And then what happens during the next crisis? We now set a precedent. And what happens when we face an even worse crisis? Then imagine what it's going to be like. It's going to be insane. Yeah. There's, was it was a uh, saying there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's where we're at. What are you going to say, Chris? Um, uh, we've moved past. I don't even really remember. <laughs> I was going to go down. Oh, no, I know what I was going to say now. Um, I've been seeing more on social media because we're talking about how People are so quick to give up their freedoms for this, you know, quote unquote safety. A lot of people have started to be like to have pointed it out that like a lot of people are giving up their rights because they don't believe that they're like suited to make their own decisions. You know what I mean? Like where like it's it gets to a certain point where you're like, are you just that incapable of being a human being? Are you actually scared to like take your own health into your own hands? Like. We have to baby you so much that the government has to tell you you're sick today. Even though you're not, we're going to tell you you're sick today. Well, you just said it. You just said, do we have to baby you so much? These are people that have been coddled their whole life that haven't had to really sacrifice for anything. When we when we examine it, that's part of the problem here in the United States that we've kind of had it too easy. We haven't had a, a real struggle. You look at people that have come over from Eastern Europe they have a completely different mindset because they understand what it's like to live under tyranny and authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too long ago, the Soviet Union controlled their entire areas. And so they have a different mindset when it comes to government encroachment. Whereas Americans, we've been spoiled. I mean, my generation hasn't really had to sacrifice. Sure, people made the voluntary choice to go into the military after 9-11 and fight and die for the country. But the vast majority of us never really had to sacrifice anything. And therefore, we have less of appreciation. Then you factor in an education system that never taught the students the importance of America, the importance of our founding fathers, the importance of the documents they put out there, the American political philosophy of liberty and freedom, the roles and responsibilities of our institutions. So you have a bunch of people that know nothing about government never were taught why liberty is so fundamental, why it's so important, and then they never had to sacrifice it. And so that's why they're so willing to give it up. Mark my words. If we do end up into an authoritarian system, if we do end up into tyranny, I could guarantee you they'll regret it. And when we eventually become free again, they'll appreciate that freedom much more than they do today. Yeah, hopefully they'll have learned something. Um, you know what? Can I ask you? You're, you're familiar, obviously, I would assume, with the concept of negative rights that our yes. that our society is kind of founded on. Um, could you explain negative rights to us and to the viewers? You know, when I hear sometimes like a Bernie Sanders say, you know, people have a right to to health care 
or uh, or people right now are saying, you know, I have a right to walk around in public and not get infected by you. Um, That's not what our society is founded on. It's founded on negative rights. If you could explain that to us. And with that, Doom Nation, we'll be right back after a few messages. What's up, everyone? It's the Two Doom Men, and we're here to tell you about a partner of ours, the Patriot Cigar Company. The Patriot Cigar Company's story started with the idea of incorporating the love of cigars with the love for freedom and America. There is no better way to celebrate our love for our country and freedoms we cherish than smoking a premium cigar. After months of trying out different blends and working with master blenders, they created the Hellfire, TNT, Sidewinder, Moab, and Mark 48, which we have right here. Each cigar is made with premium tobacco, aged a minimum of three years in Nicaragua. You know, this is a true story. I had really fallen off smoking cigars for a while, and I just couldn't find anything that I enjoyed or wanted to sit through until I was introduced to the Patriot Cigar Company, and these are honestly some of the best cigars I've smoked in a long time. And the best part about it is you could go to MyPatriotCigars.com and use our promo code DOOMED to get 15% off your order. So if you're ready to enjoy a nice cigar, head on over to their website by using the link in our episode description below. Well, when you look at it, the founding fathers wanted to create a system where it's about individuals and self-reliance and individual responsibility and that government isn't the be all end all. Government's not the one that could solve the problems. Government can't prevent the problems. And that's, I think, the key that people miss. They think government's designed to handle all these things. Government's designed to serve as like a referee within society to make sure there's some order within society as opposed to just being this be all end all entity. And so when we examine, you know, what the people like Bernie Sanders want or Elizabeth Warren or any of the far left Marxist people, the reality is government can't do these things. I mean, they can't fix potholes. Right. And yet we expect them to run a huge healthcare apparatus. So the, fa- the founding fathers, they, they understood this concept, but they also understood the weaknesses in human beings, that part of human nature is that the second something goes wrong in society, we look to government to fill that void. We look to government to solve that problem, as opposed to looking at the community level to maybe solve that problem because they're better suited to do that. What happens is ultimately government grant gets all these powers and, and it kind of blurs the line. So we have a system of federalism where we have two levels of government, neither of which are created by the other, and they both operate independently of each other. The federal government is responsible for certain things. The state governments are responsible for other things. Our founding fathers understood that the federal government, when it comes to them, the overall responsibilities are important when it comes to things like interstate trading and when it comes to things like a national currency and protecting the homeland, that that's the better suited role for the federal government to make sure that people's rights are being upheld, that people could exercise their liberty. The state governments, since they're closer to the people, the state governments could get more into the personal policies like education, like health care and those sorts of things. This idea that we're going to send health care to the federal apparatus doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't we do a universal health care system at the state level first? Like, I mean, I don't know. Let's say California. I mean, California is a far left state. Just voted not to recall them one of the worst governors in the entire they fucked up they certainly did but they're constantly talking about free health care all right so do universal health care in california that would make far more sense and then guess what 
if it fails, which it will, at least you didn't screw it up for the other 49 states out there. At least you didn't screw it up for all the yeah, people. In we all got to go down. You know, but that's the thing. They want to implement it on the federal level because if it fails, it's still going to stay intact. As you said, there's no government program that ever goes away. If you do it on the state level, people will see that failure. And then people in other states will say, I don't want my health care to be like that. You're not changing my health care system. And so they know it will never be successful. But if you could get it done at the federal level, guess what? Think about how much power the federal government has over your life. And something that we're going to talk about a little bit, but this is like a little preview. Do you really want, you know, people are constantly saying, I'm sick and tired of insurance companies making the decisions uh, about whether I could get surgery or whether I could go see a specialist and all this. Okay, so do a universal system. Guess what? There's still going to be people making decisions, only it's going to be a government bureaucrat. And then what happens when our politics and our bureaucracy is actually weaponized on ideological grounds? What happens then? That healthcare decisions are going to be made based on what you're posting on social media and whether you or not you criticize the government and the powers that be. Wow, that sounds a lot like China's social credit system, doesn't it? Yep. It's interesting because I used to be a, a big Bernie guy a few years ago. And when we first started doing the podcast, I still liked some of the things Bernie was proposing, especially this Medicare for all thing. As I went on, I realized how fucked up this would be. And now as we've gotten into the pandemic, it's even more evident because you yep. see people <laughs> openly calling for if you didn't get vaccinated, we shouldn't be giving you, you know, uh, you shouldn't be treated in the hospital. Yeah, those are the people that you want in charge of your health care. That's that's what they're advocating for. So, you know, looking back, man, was I wrong to think <laughs> that giving that was an original debate. That, that was that our that was the our original first, debate that created debate. this. Right. Yeah. No, but I admit it was it was a bad idea. I just didn't you know look into it as deeply as I have now after two years and, or so. This was the problem I had with it back then. I, I think the idea of a universal healthcare system is great, but we can't leave it up to the government because they're the least trustworthy people to do this job. Yeah. And, and it has to be something where it, it comes down to being realistic. You know, and I asked my students this today. I'm like, you know, you brought up universal healthcare system. Okay. What are we giving up in the process? Not just in healthcare, but what are we giving it up? You know, we can't have everything. We can't have this huge military apparatus. We can't have this huge education system and, and taking care of roads and bridges and food stamps and disability. We can't have all these programs and think we could just add a universal healthcare system, universal community college system, universal daycare system. It doesn't work that way. So what are you willing to give up in the process? And I, and I explained to my students, I don't care what they believe on the issues and everything, but understand, I don't care what policy it is. It is. I don't care if it's being proposed by Democrats or Republicans. There are going to be positive benefits from that policy, but there's also going to be drawbacks of that policy. Any policy that you yep. speak of, even if it's policies you support, there are going to be positives, there are going to be negatives, there are going to be winners, there are going to be losers. And we have to take the totality of the policy. Unfortunately, it's much easier to just say, I want this and not have to explain, well, what are the drawbacks, what are the advantages, and actually analyze it. That's why programs like this are good, because you actually have time to have the debates, to actually explain things, where in the media, it's just either pro-universal health care or anti-universal health care. Right. It's like, no, it's much deeper yeah. than that. 
To yeah. be, and to that's be how fair. the media spoon fed it to everyone. You're either yeah. with us or against us on every topic, and none of you are going to do no, the research. No, no, you are the yeah. domestic terrorist. Yes. Yep. To be fair on myself, that's the way I used to look at it when I was like a Bernie bro. That, oh, well, you know, when Bernie gets into power, if he becomes president, yeah, he'll do Medicare for all, and that will add to the budget, but he'll cut back on military spending. We'll do like a reprioritization of what we're spending money on. Looking back, that was naive because it doesn't matter who becomes president. They're all going to increase the military spending, increase the budget, you know, astronomically every time. So, yeah. And when you actually look at the budget, because that's one of the exercises I do in my class, here's the money we generate in tax revenue. Here's what we spend each and every year. And here's the programs that we spend it on. Here's what universal health care will cost us. Find me the money. And they're astounded that if I and I help them because obviously they can, it's too difficult for them to figure out. I'm like, all right, I'll start you off. I'm going to double the tax rate on everyone. Just right off the bat, I'm just going to double everyone's tax rate. And I'm going to slash the Department of Defense budget by 50 percent, like gutting the Department of Defense. All right. We're still two trillion dollars short. Find me the money. What else are we cutting? And we'll get into it. All right. Well, the Department of Education uh, gets $65 billion a year. Well, okay. What are you going to cut from it? You cut it by 50%. That's only giving you another $30 billion towards $2 trillion. Good luck with that. Where right. else are we cutting? And then they start to realize, well, uh, okay, it's a lot more complicated than right. we initially thought. You know, universal health care is a great slogan. But in reality, it's much more difficult to put a program like that in place, especially with a country with 329 million people, especially with the complexity of government government that we actually have here. And, you know, people need to open their eyes to those things. And with that, Doom Nation, we'll be right back after a few messages. What's up, Doom Nation? It is Skaggs here. And thanks for joining us for another episode of the Two Doom Men podcast. If you like political discussion, guns, beer, movie and TV reviews, smash that like button, subscribe to our channel, and share the show with your friends. That's the best way we can get around Big Tech's algorithm. You can also just go to linktree.com slash 2 men to find everywhere the show has a presence. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Skaggs89. Thank you, everyone, and let's get back to the show. You, you put it really well, a slogan. Because, you know, you get spoon fed, basically, you're with us or against us. And when it's a good feeling slogan, like universal health care for all, anti-gun, you know, just any of these real like slogans that you hear constantly that people are fighting over, they're not looking what they're about. They're just, oh, that sounds good. That's that's the right choice. I'm going to go ahead. I want universal health care for all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, both sides like to throw red meat to their audience. They do. Are you familiar, Nick, with uh, Jimmy Dore? He's a liberal, right? Liberal podcaster. Uh, Reasonable, though. Reasonable. Yes, very reasonable. He's made the point before that, you know, some of these Democrats have been running on Medicare for all for years and it never gets passed because they're using it as a sort of carrot on a stick. You know, vote for me and I'll get Medicare for all passed and they'll be able to fundraise and continue their political career using Medicare for all, but they'll never pass it because if they do pass it, then they're out of a job, then they're out of a job, right? They'll have nothing else. That's it. You know, one trick pony. Um, so I, I disagree with his Jimmy Dore's methods or, you know, his ideology, but I respect him for being able to call that out is that these guys are all phonies. They're just using it to, because it sounds nice 
and they're yeah. fundraising, you know, and yeah. furthering their well, careers. Like I said, I mean, I would love to pressure Democrats to actually do it at the state level. Let the, unveil it. Let yeah. the American people see what it's all about. Put it in a place like California. I could guarantee you that if you put that on one of the ballot initiatives in California, I guarantee you it passes. Right. And so test it out. This way we could end the conversation. This way we don't have to even waste our time talking about it anymore because I'm tired of sitting there debating people who just go by the slogan of universal health care. And it's all emotion. It's, you know, you hate people, essentially, that that's what it comes down to. Where, no, just let's try it. And if it doesn't work in California, then can we put the kibosh on it and never speak about it again, please? Well, why would That's they do my that? Whole thing. Why would they do that? Because once it, it's proven that it doesn't work, then they can't get it done at the federal level. So yeah. that'll never happen. Then they'll never no, get the won't. money and they won't they won't be able to launder the money and, you know, another transfer. It would transfer make my life so much easier. It would make yeah. it so much more pleasant yeah. if we could just do that. It's a good approach, though, for like your everyday like argument and be like, OK, let's Let's try it in California then. Well, yeah. I encourage everyone in California that's watching this that believes in universal health care. You guys could start your own ballot initiatives. Kick it off. Start it. Force the government to actually do it in California. Make all those people put their money where the mouth is and, and implement something like this. And if you don't like it, well, too bad for you. Yeah. You're the one that you voted for this. You got it. You know, they're, they're gluttons for punishment in California. Like we said before, they, for they some reason, up. still yeah. want. Yeah. I, 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 they New York's not that far behind, though. No, they're not. Well, they let's be honest up. here. They didn't fuck up. This is what they want. Enjoy. Good luck. I yeah. wish you the best. You know, hope no, all but Republicans up, but... screwed up. Yeah, I think I, so. I mean, let's be honest. First of all, if I was advising the Republicans, I would have told them to flood that state like never before. You know, Republicans have this habit. If, if, if we can't win something, we're not going to waste our time, money and investment on it. That's why they haven't gone into certain urban communities. Yes. That's why yeah. they surrendered these communities. They don't waste their time in places like New York and California. They, they sit there and they, with their tunnel vision, they're like, well, no, we got to focus on the purple areas. We got to focus on the swing places. No, if you go into the communities in places like New York and California, where they're actually devastated, where the people only vote Democrat because that's all they know, and no one else from the other side is actually coming to talk to them, you're not going to win over any votes. Now, the California recall was the perfect time to do something like this because you didn't have the distraction and, and have to defend other areas. You didn't have to defend swing states. So they could have dumped a ton of resources, but they ignored it like usual because they're morons. And that's why they don't make any headway in any of these states. So as much as Jimmy Dore's right about how Democrats use certain things for talking points, we have the same thing on the Republican side where most yeah. of them are just inept. They're incompetent. They have no fight in them whatsoever. And they just simply want the gravy trains to keep on flowing. They, they just want the status quo to remain and they stay and have their seat and get to hang out with their lobbyists. And that's it. The, so it's both political parties that are complete disasters. Yeah. yeah. In but we allowed them to get this way also. In terms of California, a lot too, of stuff. I think I think one of the things that happened is Newsom made the recall election about Trump and the far right. And uh, Larry Elder made it about like local issues, the, the restrictions, the boring stuff, the boring stuff. And but even Larry Elder screwed up in the sense where if I was advising him, you know, of course, the left is going to come out there. Oh, he's yes. going to take away abortion. He, he's going to take us back to the days of segregation and Jim Crow and instilling all these voting rights. The better argument that Larry Elder should have made was, hey, I'm going to stop the bleeding in California. Understand that as governor, 
you, you still have a state legislature controlled by Democrats, like overwhelmingly controlled by Democrats. Yeah. So it's not like you're going to be getting this far right agenda that Gavin Newsom's talking about. What I'm going to do is stop the bleeding. Unified government is what's destroyed California for all these years. So at least put a Band-Aid on it, at least stop the bleeding. And then we could start talking about ways that we could fix it. We could have the debates. We, we could talk about policy issues. But to think that we're going to radically overhaul the state of California, give me a Republican assembly or give me a Republican Senate, then we could actually have that conversation. But I'm not going to have that in California. Yeah. And that's yeah. the way he should have put people's minds at ease, because once again, Democrats make the emotional. Argument. Right. They don't make the logical argument. Everything's based on emotion. And it's, you know, when it comes to immigration, well, these are human beings and, you know, we, we need to take care of people. We need to invite them. We have the wealth in this country, even though we're going to send them to the poorest communities that can't afford anything that are already collapsing. When it comes to things like coronavirus, well, we want people to live. We don't want people to die. You don't want to kill grandma and grandpa. And, and you see that argument when it comes to General Milley, which we'll talk about, you know, General Milley. Well, uh, oh, I was afraid President Trump was going to launch this nuclear attack on, on China. I was afraid he lost his mind and that we were going to go to war. If you notice, it's always emotional arguments, not based in evidence, just simply based in emotion. Yep. Like nobody said, well, what's the evidence that Trump was looking to launch a war? Did he order a fleet of naval destroyers to go into the Pacific? Because if he did, all right, now you have some evidence. But no, it was based on your emotion. And that's how they try and win the arguments. Yeah. You and it works. I'm not going to sit here and lie about <laughs> it. it. It does actually work when you oh, go it does. With the emotional route. It, of course, yeah. You want to, you guys want to dive let's, into? Yeah, Millie? let's, let's get into Millie. That was a great off the cusp. Like we didn't plan any yeah. of that <laughs> half hour into this. That yeah, was let's, great. So let's, um, let's see. It's the smooth transitioning. Yeah. So let's get into General Milley, right? Because we've been kind of on hiatus for the past week and a lot of stuff happened and this General Milley thing happened. Also, Nicki Minaj happened, but I feel like that kind of over like that kind of put Milley's stuff on the back burner in the general conversation. So I'd rather talk about Milley than Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, the Milley story is actually yes. much more important Damning. than anyone could actually even imagine. Yep. It, it is not getting the play that we should actually be giving it. In the media outlets out yep. there, so so let's Biden already it. supports it. So yeah, so I'm gonna let's let's bring up the article here yeah, about what exactly happened. Um, so top general was so fearful Trump might spark war that he made secret calls to his Chinese counterparts. New book says uh, this is book Peril by Bob Woodward. I'm actually reading Bush at War by Bob Woodward right now, and I got to hand it to Bob Woodward. He seems to be really good at getting the inside info. I don't know if it's true or not what he writes. So let's put that out there first. Fifty fifty. Like yeah. Um, twice in the final months of Trump administration, the country's top military officer was so fearful that the president's actions might spark a war with China that he moved urgently to avert armed conflict. In a pair of secret phone calls, General Mark A. Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, assured his Chinese counterpart, General Li Zongcheng of the People's Liberation Army, that the United States would not strike, according to a new book by Bob Woodward. Uh, one call took place on October 30. So that's before even the election happened. Uh, and the other one took place on January 8th, two days after the Capitol siege. Um, so that's the original. Oop, what's going on here? And then this is Milley's response a few days later. Uh, General Milley 
claims China calls perfectly within the duties of his role. General Mark Milley is finally speaking out. Uh, let's see. I think it's best that I reserve my comments on the record until I do that in front of lawmakers. Um, so I guess he is going to go in front of people and testify. Yes. Yeah. But he's basically saying that what he did was within the norms of his command or his role. <laughs> yeah. I have to say something about that. If calling China was within his role, then why was there a giant investigation into General Flynn meeting with Russia at like a dinner? It was within his role. It's the same. It, it's basically similar. the same foundation. Yeah, it's a similar, you know, thing that took place. One gets off scot-free. The other one we spend millions on framing a general. Well, it's actually worse than that. So you have General Flynn, who was at the time the incoming national security advisor. Remember, this is President-elect Trump. His team's already coming in. It's two weeks before they're supposed to take over the White House. And General Flynn has a conversation with Sergei Kislyak, the Russian ambassador. And obviously that was completely within protocols, national security advisor speaking with their Russian counterparts and everything. Here's what makes it so different. Here's what makes what Milley did so dangerous. So the two phone calls that Milley made to China, why didn't he flag it up the pole? Now, we know that the then acting Secretary of Defense, uh, Chris Miller, never gave authority to make these phone calls. And we also know that President Trump wasn't informed of these phone calls. Had General Milley, had he gone to President Trump and said, hey, listen, we're seeing China may be concerned that we're about to launch an attack on them, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to call the general to ease up. Or maybe you should call President Xi Jinping and just let him know, cool the tension. That would have been perfectly within the realm of the joint chairman or joint chiefs. But that's not what happened. So, first of all, they say that President Trump and if you actually read all the reporting, the, the reporting is that President Trump lost his mind after the election. Right. But, uh, but this was but, but he made the first, first call before one, yeah. the election even. Happened. Ah, yeah. the first one he made before the election ever happened. And the first call was actually worse than the second call. And, and that's the thing that people aren't really talking about. That's something that, you know, is getting missed in this, because most people, if you bring it up to them, they think these calls happened after January 6th. However, that's not true. Now, the October 30th call is the one where Milley said that the American government's stable. Everything's going to be OK. What does he mean by that? He also said, we're not going to attack or conduct any operations against you. And the key, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise to you, meaning if we attack, Milley's going to tip them off, which is just bizarre that a general so would feeding his own men in those uh, words. Yeah. Now, here's what's so dangerous about that. First of all, this is at the point where Trump hasn't lost his mind yet, according to the far left and the liberal media hacks. So why is Milley conducting shadow diplomacy? Our Constitution is clear. The president's the one that makes foreign policy. The president didn't want, you know, members of Congress, 435 members in the House and 100 senators making foreign policy. They wanted America to speak with one voice. So the president has wide latitude. He is the chief diplomat of the United States. So why is Milley engaging in this shadow diplomacy? And this is how dangerous it is. What if China misinterpreted what Milley was saying? What if China said he's sitting here trying to reassure us 
everything's fine in the United States, everything's stable, which to us tells us it's not stable. And so how can we exploit it to make it even more unstable? What can we do to manipulate things in America to make it more disruptive, especially right before an election? And so that to me is something concerning that Millie said to them. And then what if China really felt that this was a call to throw the Chinese off, that maybe we're, we're trying to throw them off, look over there, don't look over here, and we conduct a surprise attack. Right. And they felt their backs were against the wall. Once again, these are dangerous. History is replete with examples of wars starting based on miscalculations. And so what if China would have felt their backs are to the walls and attack is imminent, so they need to strike first? Yeah, this is this is not something we should be messing around with either. We're talking about no. nuclear weapons here. And yeah. the way I look at this is I would hope, right, just to be not biased, if the president had for some reason gone insane and rogue and was going to launch the nukes, which would be a earth ending event that I would hope that some general would stop him if he was if the president was legitimately going crazy, I would hope well, that's more, another thing. Morality would take over in, instead of my duty. And uh, but but there's no evidence or, or anything that Trump was yeah. was getting to do this. So it seems no. like they're they're using almost nuclear weapons and and whatnot as like political tools and uh, talking points. Not something that should be lightly tossed around. It's a bit no, well, and that's also the bullshitters' whole thing. I mean, the, the idea that our nuclear arsenal could be released by the president pushing a button is, is illogical. It's not North Korea. Kim Jong-un, he probably has a button he could push, doesn't need any uh, type of coordination. No. The United States nuclear arsenal is very sophisticated. Now, it could be launched quickly, don't get me wrong. But it requires messages to be decoded. It requires keys. It requires certain codes have to be inputted into the system that you would think like all of a sudden, you know, this president that hasn't actually expanded wars throughout the world, one of a few presidents to do that is going to wake up one morning and just say, eh, go ahead, nuke China. Screw right. them. You got it. Logical. You, you know, got to think, though, the, the picture that's painted of Trump even though it's not, is the psychopath sitting there with his finger on the button constantly. I mean, don't get me wrong. His Twitter didn't help, you know, calling, you know, <laughs> governors and stuff like that, losers and, you know, talking down to other you know world leaders. But what the picture to, of uh, him, Kim Jong-un, right? Was it fire yeah. and fury or, or <laughs> yeah, what, rocket man? Yeah. yeah, rocket man. But, yeah. Yeah. Call but then again, like, I mean, look at how that situation evolved so north korea yeah. stopped firing their missiles and what did they do just last week well now they're firing missiles yeah. again so you know sometimes you do need that bluster you do need that person in office where other nations are thrown off balance that you can't yeah. easily predict what he's going to do a lot of times that could keep other nations in line but what millie did first of all chairperson or joint chiefs of staff has no decision making capabilities whatsoever they sit there and they advise on military issues. Here's a guy that totally went around the chain of command. He basically told underlings within the Department of Defense that any orders they get from the president, from the duly elected president of the United States, has to now flow through the chairperson of the Joint Chiefs. Now, two things. We didn't elect that chairperson of the Joint Chiefs. They're an unelected bureaucrat. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the chairperson of the Joint Chiefs gets to decide on anything. But most importantly, it totally disrupts the idea of civilian control of our government. And essentially, Milley declared himself to be this guardian of democracy, in a sense. 
that, that he could violate all the rules, that he could throw out the procedures, that he could totally disregard the Constitution because he's more virtuous. And based on his interpretation, he's the protector of the republic. And that's what makes it dangerous, that you have a bunch of unelected bureaucrats that think that they can do whatever the hell they want, as long as it's deemed in the greater good, and they're never held accountable. They actually get away with it. So you get get out of jail free card, commit treason, and, well, it was for the good cause, so we're going to get away. Absolutely. That's a theme that's going across all of the federal government right now. Forget about even just this situation, every other situation. And I also want to remove Trump out of it for a minute, because when when Trump's involved, when when you include Trump, the argument becomes partisan, and he becomes the focus of it. And people's emotions get injected. So let's go prior to President Trump. Let's go to 2015, where the Central Intelligence Agency. Now, I'll remind everyone, the Central Intelligence Agency is not allowed to conduct their operations against Americans. They're not allowed to conduct operations within the United States against Americans. They only exist to conduct operations on foreign nationals. Yet, our Central Intelligence Agency was spying on duly elected members of the United States Senate Intelligence Committee. I want people, I want that to really sink in. So this is well before Trump. This is the CIA spying on sitting members of the United States Senate. Now, they said that the reason that they were spying on them is because they believed the Intelligence Committee was mishandling classified information. Well, first of all, that's the FBI's job to investigate, not the CIA. Second, you're going to investigate your own stuff. That was a bullshit cover story, because what happened was the Intelligence Committee was actually investigating the CIA. They were conducting oversight over the CIA. So now the only logical explanation why the CIA would be spying on sitting members of the Senate and looking at their emails and their text messages, and maybe phone conversations. The only logical explanation is they were looking for dirt on sitting members of the United States Senate. Now, CIA was caught red handed in this. And what did the CIA do? Well, director, then director John Brennan came out and apologized, said he was sorry. And that's everybody, it. Yeah. No, nobody was no held accountability. accountable. Nobody was arrested. Nobody was thrown in jail. Not only no for, accountability, but that guy, John Brennan, has a cushy job, I believe, at CNN now. Yep, setting talking points uh, for, you know, for the media. So absolutely. You got a promotion. the biggest advocates for the whole Russia collusion right. scandal. Yep. Uh, So when we look at it, you have these unelected bureaucrats that think that they could do whatever the hell they want. You had the lowest learner issue with the IRS, where they were targeting Tea Party groups because they disagree with those groups. They wanted not only financial records, which that's one thing, but they also wanted a list of the donors and their financial records. And that's something that's truly bizarre. We've never seen that happen. So we've seen this weaponization within the bureaucracy where the bureaucrats think that they're more important, they're more powerful than the people that we actually elect to represent us. And and that's the dangerous thing, because that's ultimately how you get into authoritarianism. Then you take Russian collusion. It was, we all know, it was an investigation that was built on nothing. And and we now have the evidence for that. You have the whole clip uh, of the guy that just got charged from the John Durham investigation, where they, they actually openly were having internal conversations at Perkins Coie that they had nothing. That there was nothing there, but because they despise President Trump, they're going to go to the FBI. They're going to sit there and say that they came into all this information and make it like it wasn't from a political campaign. Well, 
damage that did to the United States. You have Jim Comey, uh, Andy McCabe, Peter Strzok, all these people that are sitting there saying how they leaked information, classified information to the press, which is illegal. They, they committed perjury before Congress, which is illegal. But they say they did it for the greater good, that the American people, this part I'm putting in their mouths, that the American people made the wrong decision in the 2016 yeah. election. And it's up to these guardians of democracy to correct the American people's mistake. That's what these bureaucrats actually think. That's what goes through their yeah. mind. They think they're the noble holy warriors of the 21st century. The modern day Paul Revere's, the modern day George Washington's. Meanwhile, they're a bunch of damn fools that are going to destroy this country because I've never seen anything like in order to preserve democracy, well, we have to destroy it. That yeah. doesn't sound like it makes too they much need, sense. They need it in their image. Yeah. Correct. Let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question, especially in terms of an uh, agency like the CIA, who's so deeply embedded, God knows, in, in how many things around how, the world, how deep that goes. Just, say I make you president, Nick, and, and you, uh, you know, become in charge. How do you even attempt to roll back something like that? That even if, I guess, the, the president maybe has the authority to just you know, sign off and be like, I'm eliminating the CIA. But would that even really do the job? Because they're so deeply embedded in every facet of, of everything else. I don't know. How do you even roll back a, an organization? And they just like that? continue secretly operating Put them back it. in check. I, you know, well, it is a problem. But at some point, we do have to figure out how to how to reform the system. I mean, the right, system has, has definitely grown so large. When it comes to something like the Central Intelligence Agency, first of all, I'm someone that believes that almost half of middle management could be completely eliminated. And nobody would ever notice. Nobody would notice the difference. Then I would also eliminate all the heads of these agencies and departments, all the top level senior leaders within these agencies, because they've been tainted. They've allowed their ideology to infect their work, and that's not what it's supposed to be. There's about missions and accomplishing those missions. When you take something like the CIA, they do an important mission. I don't want to understate that. They do an important mission because they're supposed to protect us from adversaries, from foreign adversaries overseas that want to do us harm. They're supposed to protect us from those that want to commit espionage against the United States. So you don't want to eliminate them completely. But at, at what point do you say, pick your poison? I mean, if they're going to turn their amazing, awesome power against us internally within the United States, well, then, yeah, maybe we do need to have a discussion. But I would literally downsize all these agencies and departments. I believe that this, they were already bloated to begin with. Well, cut them down to a point where they have to prioritize and they really do have to focus on the most important threats out there that are overseas, as opposed to wasting their time on the bullshit here in the United States of some amorphous domestic terrorists that they never actually explain or define for us. Um, I would do the same thing to most of the agencies out there. And then I would try and shutter. Now, president doesn't have this ability. Congress also has to approve it. But I would try and shutter several agencies and departments that we simply don't need. Return the power back to the states. Uh, one of the things that the president can do, though, is when the president comes into office, they have to appoint like something like forty five hundred people yeah, to crazy. staff. The That's offices. crazy. That's a crazy job to even have to mm -hmm. do. Absolutely. But guess what? I just wouldn't staff them. I would leave all those positions vacant and that's it. No temp lines, no anything. And then sooner or later, you'll, you'll see that the agencies will naturally have to downsize because 
they, they can't keep these positions open. And that might be a way, but it's, it takes time and it takes courage. Um, but when we look at the idea of this bureaucracy that just thinks it could do whatever it wants, we need to get a check on it. And this is not a partisan issue. It's not about Democrat. It's not about Republican. I always explain to people that if our system turns authoritarian, do you think it matters what political party you belong to? I mean, if the United States collapses, we're all going to suffer. It doesn't yeah. matter if you have the right political ideology or not. It's not going to make a difference. And you have this idiot. And I will say he's an idiot. Usually I'm respectful of the office of the presidency. You're much I, I more respectful like, than we are. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's I, why we had you on our show. <laughs> well, listen, I, I always try and respect the office of the presidency. I mean, even down when I'm, I call politicians idiots, morons, imbeciles. I always try and use their titles and everything. But when President Biden came out with his dictatorial decrees and how he's mad at Americans, freedoms in the backseat, our fault, and you know his patience is wearing thin and. I'm very upset with him. In any event, you have this idiot come out and say, no, what General Milley did is completely acceptable. He was defending the Constitution. And I'm sitting there like, you do realize you just gave justification for General yeah. Milley to disregard every order that you give. Right. Because all he has to do now is make the make argument his, yeah. that, hey, President Biden is in cognitive decline, which I think is clear to everyone. And therefore, he can't be trusted to make the decision. So now I need to go behind his back and tell all the staff decisions have to run through me. He, Joe he, Biden sorry. just gave the precedent. He just said it by not firing Millie immediately. And that's how stupid he is. He doesn't realize how it could be used against him. And I warn people, you may have sat there and supported it because you do have a lot of people defending General Milley, which is astounding to me. And I'm just like sitting there like, well, that's because Trump's the focus. They hate Trump so much that they'll buy anything that's said about him. And think about how short sighted that is, though, yeah. be because now that you set this precedent, listen, Democrats aren't going to be in power forever. Sooner or yeah. later, you can have Republicans and they could do the same thing. But more importantly, I don't know what this country is going to look like 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Especially really? with us allowing this to go on. Exactly. Democrats just, oh, no, Biden can't figure it out. It's up to me now. I'm choosing it. Exactly. And that's how you start to see authoritarianism is here. I mean, it's not like it's coming. It's not creeping in. No, it's here. It's here. Now, is it firmly implanted here? Are the roots established here? And the answer is no, they're not. That's why we could still correct course. And I think that it's necessary that we correct the course. But the reality is that if we continue heading down this path, it, it, it will. The roots will get planted further, further and further and further until it's too late. And then it's going to be very difficult to change the system after that. You look at everything that's going on with this whole idea of terrorism, domestic terrorism, and we got to focus internally and we're going to have social media and the Internet giants like the, the whole they're going to be Saturday. the guys on Saturday, they uh, the, J the Fed rally. rally. Yeah, the Fed rally that flopped in all their faces because everybody <laughs> it knew it was a setup. In their faces. Understand that they I know, yeah, there's a different reaction now. If sorry to interrupt, but the the flip side that I don't like about this is, all right, so they went out and you know, anons, whatever you want to say, said, oh, this is going to be a false flag. Don't go. There's something suspicious. Now the next time, like they like 
a certain political party needs to get together, they could just run controlled opposition and be like, no, there's going to be a false flag. I heard there's going to be some go and start putting the fear into everyone. So we never really get together. Yeah, but but Trump himself, but Trump himself said, don't go. It's a setup. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Trump. He released that statement on Thursday night. So how many people heard it? I mean, the reality is I knew it was going to be this. I I knew several weeks ago that you were going to have more reporters there than protesters. (laughs) Why? Because a lot of Republicans and conservatives have jobs that we have to get to and we can't sit there and protest all the time. But more importantly, it's like um, you go to the early 90s or the late 90s and early 2000s and you hear about a KKK rally. It's like 10 people show up. Why? Because the American people generally are not nuts. We're generally not these racist, uh, you know, rednecks. We're, no, we're generally decent people. And, and so the problem that the government has now, it's pushing this idea of domestic terrorism. And it's getting all spun up. And the question is, why is it getting spun up? Well, there are two reasons. You actually have people that are spinning everything up, that are hyping things up to try and prevent it from happening. They don't want to see another January 6th take place because they know where it's going to go after that. And they don't want to see that. There are others that want to spin everything up, but they're hoping that another January 6th happens because yes. they, that that validates yeah. the idea of the justifies terrorism. the agenda. It justifies the expansion of the surveillance state, the enhancing of the powers of the federal government, the targeting of political opponents. It gives it a justification. So there are many officials that exist out there that actually want to see another January 6th. And what I fear is that you're going to have this self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you call half the population domestic terrorists, the more you say they're domestic enemies, that they're all racist, they're all horrible people in need of being purged or deprogrammed. Are you creating the conditions for a domestic terrorist to emerge. Yeah. Is it going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy where one of these morons is going to feel so isolated and detached that says, well, the government keeps on ignoring me. Now I'm going to blow something up. Yeah. And yeah. that's what concerns me greatly because but, sooner or later they're creating the next Timothy McVeigh yep. just from their rhetoric and their actions where it's like, no, if you just shut the hell up, and let the situation calm down, it will calm down. Yeah, I could also see that in terms of they have been caught being so hypocritical in terms of even like AOC being at that Met Gala with the tax the rich things. The Emmys. And the Emmys and the, the mask situation. That's angering people without a doubt. So that is also, I would say, you know, kind of self- fulfilling prophecy like you're doing things that are pissing people off yes of crt course. in schools and, right you know there'll someone there'll be some crazy person that will snap and and mm-hmm. you know do something you know illogical like that and then they'll have their boogeyman or their justification for for that. yeah it and was, then we say oh it was the rhetoric online that incited right. that person yeah. right i you saw know, it, Sorry, um, I was listening to, I believe it was either Dave Smith or Tim Pool, but they were talking about something like very similar to this uh, a while back where they brought in like like the BLM protests. Like they're saying this is in the name of Black Lives Matter, but it's kind of like mild aggression. And they're like they're hoping they get met with like a huge amount of aggression so they could call you a racist. They the guy whoever I think it was Tim Pool used the example of like, when you used to be on a, a uh, 
carpool with like your little sister or something and she's got her finger in your face but she's not touching you and she's going i'm not touching you i'm not touching you and you get so annoyed you cock back and yes. punch her in the face now who's in trouble you because you retaliated you know so it's they're basically they're setting up you know a mild amount of aggression to come so we can react with a huge amount well, and that's the concerning aspect, because it's not necessarily that they want to see, you know, white supremacy or any of this crap. It's that they want power. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to at the end of the day. And that gives them the justification that we can't trust the American people, that the American people can no longer be trusted. They're the ones that have to make the decisions and they're the ones that have to make things right because they know what's best. Their egos have certainly gone to their heads. Um, and, and that's what definitely concerns me. Our government is certainly out of control. When you look at things that Millie has done, when you look at things the FBI has done or the IRS or the NSA spying on all Americans, at what point are people going to wake up and realize what's really happening? So we have two threats in the United States. We have the Marxists, the far left radicals that want to turn us into a Marxist country. But then you have the bureaucrats, the, the bureaucracy of those in power. General Milley is not like some rabid communists that exist right. out there. And these bureaucrats aren't Marxist. I actually fear them more. I think it's actually easier to defend against Marxism than it is to defend against a bureaucracy that is out of control. A faceless bureaucracy. Think of how many bureaucrats are out there. A new Correct. name comes out every day that you've never heard of. That's some important position that you also never heard of. Like and the one entity... That's supposed to be providing oversight, which is Congress. They're the ones mm -hmm. that are supposed to provide all oversight and hold these people accountable. They're not doing it. And I go back to when President Trump first took office. You had Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. He, he was on Rachel Maddow show. And I'll never forget this. Rachel Maddow asked Chuck Schumer a question uh, about how President Trump was going after the intelligence community. And Senator Schumer's response was something that was absolutely stunning. Oh, I know and what you're going to say. You have... He better be careful. The intelligence community has six ways of from Sunday to get back at you. And so right. he better be careful. Now, that wasn't Chuck Schumer being an a-hole, even though he is sometimes like, you know, making a threat against President. Well, that Trump. was like a rare that, that moment was, of honesty. Yeah. It was a rare moment of honesty. And he was providing a warning to President Trump, like, hey, these are powerful entities. What's concerning was Rachel Maddow's reaction. She laughed like an idiot. Of course. Where if I was doing that interview, I would be like, well, isn't that concerning to you that you're so afraid, you're so frightened of the intelligence community and you're the ones you that are even, supposed to yeah. have oversight over the intelligence community? Like, isn't there something wrong with that picture that you're the Senate minority leader and you have to express that type of fear? Why aren't you providing oversight? Like, that would have been a really good follow-up question. Instead, Rachel Maddow laughs like an idiot and says, oh, good, basically let the intelligence community no. take that. JFK him, right. So well, well remember, I mean, <laughs> they they succeeded with President Trump at trying to destroy him, and they, they did succeed. Imagine what his four years would have been like if he didn't have all the BS to go along with it. Now, some of the fault is his, where he created some of his own problems, right. but... At the same time, if you're being attacked from every which way, how are you going to respond? I mean, no. most people won't be able to handle that. But what they don't realize is that they set in motion where they essentially could do this to any president. They just laid out the roadmap, the blueprint of how to destroy presidencies. And they're already the starting with Ron DeSantis. 
Every time Biden talks, he has to talk about uh, DeSantis in Florida. He always has to point out that Florida is being a bad boy because they're not listening to us. And every and a lot of people know DeSantis is going to try and run in 24. They're getting they're getting ahead of it already. Well, they're trying to. But but the thing is, with the bureaucracy, it's I'm sure they're not big fans of Joe Biden either. They certainly aren't big fans of Kamala Harris. That's for sure. And so we're setting a series of events in motion where it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican in office, who's really in power. Right. And it's essentially the bureaucracy. More shadow. government. Once again, we didn't we didn't sign up for that. That that's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution makes it actually explicitly clear that we have a legislative branch, an executive branch, a judicial branch. They all have their responsibilities. But we, the people, are the ones that are supposed to oversee the system and have say within the system. Well, if the people are just being disregarded because the powers that be think that they know better, well, you may still go out and vote in an election, but you are in a democracy. And again, it's not just here we're seeing this. Look at what's going on in Australia and Italy and France. There's like riots going on because of the draconian decrees of their governments. So we're seeing essentially the collapse of the Western world. That's what we're starting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Scary times. And nobody's well, no, I'm not not nobody standing up. There's been a lot of protests around the world too against some There's of the- more protests in other countries than there is here. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. concerning uh, to me yeah. that people haven't been. You know, this actually brings it back to something you said before. We said uh conservatives have jobs, they don't have time to be activists or to go out and protest. Uh, I think that's a problem, right? Because the left is out there all the time. You know, the left will burn down their own city to get something they want. And the Republican response seems to be like no, no. You know, like we want health care. No, no. Like the, the Republicans are not pushing. They're not advocating for much. They're just kind of opposing what the Democrats want. It's like you're fighting a losing battle all the time. Like I want Republicans no. to go out there and like go fight on the offensive, to go on the offensive. Right. And like get me constitutional carry throughout the entire country. Like, go do what the but Democrats it's also do. Partially our fault too. Because, yeah, we might not have time to protest, but we have time for civil disobedience. And what I mean by that is, you know, how many places I've been to, like where it's like mass required, blah, blah, blah. I walk in without my mask. Nobody will say a damn thing to me. In fact, people start taking off their mask. And I'm like, well, why did you wear it in the first place? I I mean, that's the thing. Like if nobody's wearing a mask and they show up somewhere, they can arrest everyone. If every single student in a high school shows up and isn't wearing a mask, are they going to send every kid home? And then every parent should be like, yeah, I'll be there in 15 minutes to pick my kid up and not show up till like two o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon or something. But but it's things like that that we actually can do. We could say, you know what? No, we're, we're not going to sit there and just listen to you. Listen to these decrees. You want to put in mass? You want to make mass a, a law? That's fine. Put it through the legislative branch. We have legislative branches for a reason. You don't let uh, these draconian decrees by one person, the chief executive of the state, or the president of the United States. It's not the way it works. And so people can push back. If, if enough people say, you know what? I'm not going to show my vaccine passport, whether you're vaccinated or not. If you're vaccinated and got the vaccine, don't show your passport at restaurants. Why should you? Why are you normalizing this? It's not normal. And don't normalize it. Don't give it any credibility. And guess what? If the restaurant, I see people that are unvaccinated try and go into restaurants and they get into a fight. Oh, you're discriminating against me, blah, blah, blah. Why would you even want to give your money to a restaurant? That's, look That's what I've been That's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, avoid those restaurants. Call them out on social media and avoid them. Because guess what? 
Once, when they're once push comes money, to shove, yeah, they yes. won't enforce. They're not going to be the little enforcers yep. of government anymore. And, and I would remind all those restaurants out there, remember, it's the government that put you in this position in the first place. They're the ones that shut you down in the first place. They're the ones that made you go broke. So why are you enforcing their unconstitutional decrees? So we actually do, as ordinary people, have a lot of different avenues that we could use in order to defy the system. It doesn't mean you engage in violence. It doesn't mean you act like an idiot. It doesn't mean you curse people out or threaten them in any way. There are smart ways to do things. I mean, I've never had my Twitter account, Facebook account, any social media account suspended. Why? Because I'm, I think before I actually press the tweet button, <laughs> I, I, make sure, the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, I make sure that what I'm writing cannot be used against me in any way. I make sure that I'm formulating a good point that's going to get my point across. If I went out there and I just tear Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and all these other politicians, I just tear them a new one, I call them names, and then I get booted off. What did that accomplish? Well, it accomplished nothing. I'm not changing anyone's mind. And now I don't have a voice anymore. Right. Whereas if I craft my arguments, <clears throat> if I actually use respectful disagreement with people. Now I could start to change some minds. I could have debates with people and I still have a platform where I could get my message out and reach those people that may not be so political. And that's where Republicans, I think, make a mistake. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Right. That's actually, Chris, something me and you have spoken about how right. we disagree with, let's say, YouTube's uh, rules, you know, how they you can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. But I've told Chris, we've discussed it like it's a terrible mistake to not know what the rules are and then get your channel banned. And now, because you didn't know, and now you can't reach people that you might have been reaching before and spread your message and try and change their minds on the million other issues that are just as important as, let's say, as ivermectin or something like that. Um, right. And we also started a TikTok under the same kind of idea because there's all these young people on TikTok and they're being fed one point of view, the liberal leftist point of view. Let's take our show and some of the ideas that we like to push out there and let's put it on TikTok. I don't like TikTok. I don't like the idea that the CCP is behind the companies or whatever that's controlling it. But I'll take the hit if it means trying to get my message out there to people that wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Well, and also post things as questions. Yes. Yes, that's what I do know, most of the time. People yeah. need to realize that if you post certain things as a question, you, you can't get censored over that. You're asking questions. <laughs> If you're making a statement, you know, then it's a, then it's different. Then you can get that false and misleading label. Well, if I'm posing something as a question, can they really give me a false and misleading label? And so they, uh, they'll try. Ways. That stuff is all bullshit anyway. So how many of those fact, fact checks are? Uh, I had a fact those check fact recently. Checks are false. I fact check the fact checkers. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, how crazy. I, we've, we've had situations where it'll say, you know, this is partially misleading or false. You click on the fact check. You go in there and read it and, it confirms, and it's such a weak excuse or, or it confirms what you originally posted as yeah. being true. But it somehow still says that it's false. It, it doesn't. Well, uh, first of all, anything that says that something's partially misleading, that's misleading in and of itself. Yes, right. There's nothing that's partially misleading. It's either misleading or okay? it's not. So it's either false information or it's not. I mean, that, that's the it's, that's it's almost the like they're trying to what? read your mind as to how you would interpret something. Well, that's the thing. Inception. But here's the thing. <laughs> it, it depends on what you're posting. So go online, post something. I don't know, like the moon landing never happened or, you know, JFK was right. assassinated yeah. by the government and the mob and stuff. And you're not going to get any false and misleading labels. You're not going to get partially false information. You call 9-11 and you could come up with any damn conspiracy theory you want and you're not going to be called 
false, misleading, no posts get it censored. It's only when you challenge the dominant narrative that's out there that yep. you start to get these censors put on. But once again, understand that and it's no one is suspicious part. of that. Well, it's all part of a big state apparatus now. It's something that is wide out in the open. You had Jen Psaki a few weeks ago talking about how they're flagging posts for social media. You have the National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism and Pillar One, where they lay out that the social media companies, the Internet is going to serve as the eyes and ears of what's going on within our society. But more importantly, in Pillar Two, that the government is going to work with these companies to control the flow of information. So so it's all there for us to see. It's not like they're hiding it. It's just that there's still so many Americans with their heads buried in the damn sand that, that they don't see what's really going on. They don't want to see what's really going on. And to them, it's yeah. like, no, Republicans just want people to die. You said it. You said it before. Once we go full authoritarian, it doesn't matter what what political party you were. We're, we're all screwed. And Skaggs and I always say, we're really just here. So when we're on the bus ride to the gulag, we get to turn around and go, I told, told you so. so. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to a gulag. I'm going to be illegally entering, oh. crossing the border of Mexico. I'll be, I'll be getting mad. You'll see, there, you'll see how illegal immigration will reverse. Yeah, That's I'll be being made an example of outside. <laughs> They're going to need point. flashbangs and a team to get me. So give us, give us. Where, where, where is the country going, honestly? What, your, 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 your best thought. I saw the other day Sarah Silverman, the comedian, was even flirting. She's, she's a lefty, was flirting with the idea of, you know, maybe it's best if the country breaks up and, you know, you go over there and have your freedom and we'll go over here and have our vaccines and our passports. And that was interesting because it was someone on the left now who's saying maybe it is a good idea if we split up. To split. Right. And there's some sort of secession. Well, that, uh, that's not happening. And the, the reason it's not happening is because our society is way too complicated. First of all, you have bigger states that make a hell of a lot more money in smaller states and, you know, that sort of thing. But more importantly, it's not like, you know, you go to the Civil War era, there was a North-South divide. Right. Like, it was clear. Here, here's the border. Here's where the fighting's going on. In today's day and age, it's block by block, house by house. Everyone's different. And we're not, I don't foresee Civil War actually emerging there are others that are screaming revolution civil war that's not really happening okay because you're not going to be sitting there going to war with your neighbor that you've had beers with your kids played together things like that i can't say exactly for sure where it's going it's hard to say a lot of times when we look at our past we tend to have this nostalgic view of our past that everything was just easier it was better times were simpler back then when you actually look at the history of the United States, we always had challenging times from the collapse of the Articles of Confederation, the War of 1812, the Great Depression in 1833. Yeah, obviously the Civil War, then the longest depression from 70, 1873 to 1896. Then you go into the whole idea of the Great Depression, World War II coming about. The civil rights movement, we were very divided in the 60s and the 70s. We had inflation was through the roof. The, the gas lines that were taking place. So we look back and we see that we were divided before. I mean, Vietnam back then, we were divided in a lot of cases. And ultimately, we figured out a way to move forward. And so the question is, is this one of those times where we're going to figure out a way to move forward and coexist with one another? Um, that's my hope. 
the only thing I fear is that the government is being granted so much power over the course of the last 30 years. It's not a Republican yeah. or Democrat thing. It's both parties were willing to grant this power to government and keep on expanding and expanding and expanding. And not only that, now we have social media that makes us factionalized even more, makes yes. us deeper entrenched. A lot more fraction. open. Yeah. You have a lot I, more misinformation. Yeah. And so there's a lot of variables today where it's hard to predict. And then you have the idea that people don't know about the United States. They're unfamiliar with the core concepts within the United States. And, you know, I'm putting out an episode on this uh, Wednesday, I believe, where I talk about the threat the bureaucracy poses to us and how, listen, I don't care. I'm a conservative. I'm not going to sit there and hide it. I'm not going to sit there and make it, you know, try and sugarcoat my issues. I, I believe the way I do on policy issues. I'll always be open about it. I'll be upfront about it. And I'll back my opinion up with my evidence and analysis. This isn't about political issues. This is about the United States as a whole. This is not a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, progressive, libertarian thing. This is about the future of the United States and the survival of the United States, that, that we need to recognize that the biggest threat we face, doesn't matter what you are, we should all band together and actually take it on. And that's why you're seeing this weird alliance begin to form between people that are very liberal on the social issues and economic issues, the Glenn Greenwalds, yes. the Matt Taibis, the Bill Mars, and then you have conservatives like myself finding themselves in alignment with these people where we could disagree on every policy issue that exists out there. But we recognize the threat government poses, and we know yeah. that we're in a much more dangerous situation with the more power we give government. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I, agree with that. Go ahead, Chris. I got a little follow up question from that. You said we've been just giving this un, unsurmountable amount of power to the government for the past 30 or so years. Where would you say, like, if you had a guess or if you have a theory of like where, like what administration, where FDR. along the line? FDR, it's without hesitation. Down. It was FDR's administration. We had the Great Depression. States couldn't handle it. And so we felt we needed the federal apparatus to kick in. And that's when we see started seeing the federal government usurp a lot of state authority. Now, what transpired after that was the federal government basically extorting states that here's the policies we want you to put in place. You don't have to do it, but if you don't do it, you're not getting this amount of money. Well, the situation has changed where the average state revenue, 25 percent of a state's revenue comes from the federal government. So no state could afford to have 25% of their budget just cut out. Right. And right. states have now become beholden. So we had the system of federalism where we had two levels of government that were in, independent of each other. Now we have two levels of government where one is beholden to the other because of that revenue. Right. I've heard some libertarians say Woodrow Wilson is also a good point because I believe he started the, uh, the uh, Federal Reserve. So not only, you know, not only is do we have that problem where the states are now beholden to the federal government, but the federal government could just manipulate the money supply uh, to give them the money to pay for whatever they want. So a lot of libertarians that I've listened to have pointed to him as also another. Well, he was certainly a big progressive out there. That's for sure. As far as the Federal Reserve, we need to audit it, find out what's going on, look at the books and everything. I don't like the idea of the Federal Reserve, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm well educated as to the gold standard versus the Federal Reserve. Right. And if you look at it, the powers that be can always manipulate 
any type of, of the monetary instruments we use. I mean, all you have to do is go look at Andrew Jackson. First of all, he's the only president to actually pay off our federal debt. And when you look at him, he shut down the National Bank because of all the corruption that was going on. Now, the reason he shut it down wasn't necessarily because of corruption. It was because they didn't like him. Uh, but that also led to a Great Depression in 1833. So, you know, it's one of those things, trying to balance it out is hard. I, Woodrow Wilson certainly was a progressive, but I look at FDR as that was the turning point. That's when we started to see the social welfare state being built on this idea that government can solve all these different problems when in reality they can't. No, I mean, he was also the only president who, uh, you know, ran for what, four separate terms, right? You know, well, he was separate. He won four elections, push, pushing the, envelope. In the first month of the last one, but last term, but right? Four elections. But yeah, that's where it started. And then if you look at from 9 11 on, it's just been crazy. All lead into this point. Yeah. All right. It's crazy. You got anything else, Chris? Or? Uh, I mean, I had the other stuff, but I mean, we've covered a lot today. This has been a great <laughs> conversation. Yeah, as always. Well, I appreciate yes. you guys inviting me on. Always enjoyed the discussion. So you do great work out there. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You yes. do great work. Uh, I really appreciate your show. It's uh, yes. You know, very. You. I learn a lot. Inspires the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I learn Definitely. something new constantly. You do. More people need to hear you. More people need to hear us, too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, you're doing you're doing great work out there. Nick. We got to wake up the masses. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a TikTok? Another... Nick? No, I don't TikTok. do TikTok. You should Trying do it, man. Controls TikTok. You should do it. Should you should do it. Make <laughs> just to expose yourself. It's worked for us since we started yeah. doing it. You, I mean, we out more. we outpaced Instagram in like three weeks, and now I mean, like we are light years ahead of followers on TikTok than we were on Instagram. Yeah, I just look at yeah, it in terms I'll of getting the message out. out. Yeah, yeah. More right. people are seeing the content, but yeah. All right. Anything else, boys? That's it. All right, Nick. Thank you so much. Make sure you check him out on the PAS report. Where all major podcasts are heard. Make sure you subscribe to them. Always make sure you like, share, and subscribe our show, the Two Doom Men Podcast. Check us out on our link tree. What is it, Skags? Linktree.com slash Two Doom Men. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Good night. <laughs>